Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Hey, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's V, the Grill Economist, coming to you live on this edition of Hanging with Harley. He's a man that needs no introduction whatsoever. Uh, you can find Harley over at the LaRoucheOrganization.com, LaRoucheOrganization.com, as well as SchillerInstitute.com, SchillerInstitute.com. The links will be in the description box. And without further ado, there's lots to talk about because there's lots going on in the world. Harley, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine, V. I'm, I'm not as upset as some of the commentators who are acting as though the world has ended. <laughs> Same. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually elated. You know, I, I, I think if there's any sort of a, a, um, a, a symbol, a sign that uh, we are being led by idiots and morons at the highest levels. The image of a C-17 Globemaster trying to take off on a runway with thousands of people holding onto it for dear life is the vertible symbol of the collapse of the American empire. Well, let's take a quote from the British defense minister, uh, Wallace, who was almost in tears talking about the loss of Afghanistan. And he said, the West is now perceived by our enemies as weak. Now, who could see what we were doing in Afghanistan as a sign of strength? We were in a hold up in a few centers where the rest of the country was virtually ungovernable. Uh, there was no strategy to win the war. U.S. commanders have admitted we didn't know, have the foggiest notion of what we were doing there. How is that a sign of strength? Well, he says that by pulling back, we're showing we can't be trusted. What it shows is you can't trust these establishment figures to come up with a war-winning strategy. And yet, they go into one war after another. So I, I think uh, I, I agree with what Helga said the other day, Helga Zepp-LaRouche. She said, this should send out a signal that the policy has to change, that regime change wars are not winnable. And if they're won, they create more instability than they intended to stop. Absolutely right. I don't know if the if that gentleman was tearful and crying because of not only just the loss of Afghanistan, but is it the loss of the of the of the opium crops now that Afghanistan is probably going to be decimated and their poppy production is going to go back to zero, where once it was eighty percent of the world. Well, you're absolutely right. Ben Wallace, as the British Defense Minister, um, had the Brits had control in Helmand Province, which is where most of the opium was coming from. Right. You know, we had a, an interesting dialogue a few weeks ago, and uh, the same person will be on with us again tomorrow, uh, Arlaki, Pino Arlaki, who mm. is an Italian, who's the former head of the UN anti-drug operations. And he said that in 2001, 2000, 2001, opium traffic was significantly reduced in Afghanistan. And after the U.S. invaded, it went up again. But it went up again, particularly in the, the British zone. Now, what he points out when people say, well, the reason that the opium poppy has grown again is that 
the farmers want it. Well, the farmers only get about three to five percent of the income. Most of it goes to organized crime and is the money is made in money laundering, drug money laundering. So it, it's not an Afghan operation. This is classic British counterinsurgency and geopolitics. You use the country you invade to produce the product that you use to destroy other countries. So when Taliban announced the other day that they are going to shut down opium production, I didn't see a whole lot of coverage of that in the West, except where they said no one believes them. Well, the guy who was in charge of the UN uh, heroin eradication program, this guy Arlaki, said that the Taliban had almost eliminated opium production uh, before the United States invaded in 2001. So who are you going to believe in this? The, the Taliban, you know, they are what they are. You can't really trust them. On the other hand, you should give them incentives to do that. You say to them, if you follow through your pledges to not allow terrorists to operate out of Afghanistan, no safe haven, no operations launched from there, uh, no oppression of women, and no opium production, well, those are things that you can monitor. And I think this is the possibility for a change. This afternoon, a Taliban spokesman said that we would very much like to allow other countries to come in and explore the resources we have in, in joint operations with us. So there's a lot that could be done. And this is why this is a test of whether the West is serious about dealing with terrorism, because the, the net effect of the war on terror is to arm the terrorists and terrorize the people in the Western countries through uh, police state measures. Yeah, absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And, you know, it, it, this, it, it's an incredible failure. It shows to the world that, like you said, Harley, the regime change wars do not work. These are not our wars. There's no reason for us to get into into bed with these people. There's no reason for us to um, use military force, even to get resources. There's ways of even working with the most unfavorable of regimes in the world because our goal is to enrich ourselves. Our role, if our goal is truly to build a great physical economy, which is not, right? Because the, these regime change wars only benefit the banksters, only benefit the parasitic fire economy of finance, insurance, and real estate, Harley, and all the speculative bubbles that are propped up by that. And the, the Beltway bandits, the, the ones who run the consulting firms, the think tanks uh, that sell the product of counterinsurgency, the contractors who are brought in to run it. You know, it's, it's funny that one of the lines is that, well, the war was lost because the Afghan government was corrupt. Well, it's true. There is corruption there. But the inspector general's report on the conduct of the Afghan war said that there was much more corruption on the contractor's side than from the Afghan government. Because, the, you know, the stories about pallets of uh, uh, dollars that were lost in Iraq, those were not taken by Saddam Hussein's men. Those were taken by the contractors. And they were doled out to the people in Iraq who worked with them. But why do you think there are so many millionaires who live in the area around Washington, D.C. right now, who hire mercenaries to go in and fight these wars. You know, this is, this is a real racket. 
And, you know, I think the, the people who are crying the hardest are the ones who are beginning to realize that this may be the end of that racket. There has to be accountability. You know, it, it's if this were something that just were discovered last week when Kabul fell, it would be one thing. But you remember WikiLeaks did a report uh, from documents that were released in 2010 that showed that the U.S. military and U.S. officials were lying about the effectiveness of the U.S. war in Afghanistan. The head of the, the so-called Afghan war czar, General Douglas Lute, in 2014, he served under both Bush and Obama. He did an interview in which he said, we don't have the foggiest notion of what we're doing. And then we have the so-called Pentagon Papers that came out uh, in 2019, where they showed that the U.S. was lying repeatedly about the effect of the military presence, about how we were succeeding. So when you put that together, the lying with the money, you realize there was something being protected, an operation being protected that the American people didn't know about. Correct. Even so, the American people didn't support this war. This is the, the Afghan war and the Iraq war, are probably the two reasons most important for Donald Trump's victory in 2016, his theme of ending the endless wars. Right. I have to say, V, I'm a little bit disappointed in what Trump is saying now, trying to wiggle his way out of any responsibility. Uh, he was right to try and get out of the war, but for some reason, he didn't pull the trigger on it. Now, Biden pulled the trigger on it. Was it done effectively? Well, how do you get out of a war that's gone on for 20 years? It, it's hard to do. And I'm not giving Biden a blank check on this, but I think it's it's uh, irresponsibly partisan uh, and, and self-seeking uh, for Trump to say that, well, Biden blew it. We had a good plan. Well, the plan that Trump signed gave power to the Taliban and was committed correctly to remove the U.S. troops. So you know, was the operation botched? I don't know how you end something that, that was a mistake from the beginning. So, and remember when, when I say a mistake from the beginning, when we went into Afghanistan, it was on the pretext that we were going to uh, take down the people responsible for 9-11. I don't think we really did that because I don't think there's evidence that shows that the 9-11 terror operation was run out of a bat cave in Afghanistan. There were other agencies, including Western intelligence agencies, probably CIA and Mossad most significantly, that if they didn't run it, at least knew enough about it that they could have stopped it. So, you know, the, the whole pretext for the war on terror was the 9-11 attack. That's why we've been in the Middle East in these wars for 20 years. And we still don't have the documents that are available that show who really was the one responsible for 9-11. You want to know something, Harley? Here's, a, here's the most interesting thing, right? The, the whole, uh, you know, a lot of people get construed that the Taliban were behind 9-11. Folks, it wasn't 19 Afghan hijackers that, that, that pulled off 9-11, okay? Sure. It, it was Saudis. Secondly, uh, Mullah uh, Omar Mohammed. Uh, Muhammad Omar, who was the leader of the Taliban in 2001, uh, specifically asked the U.S. government, hey, look, you know, I can't throw this guy out of my country, referring to uh, Osama bin Laptop, okay, a.k.a. Uh, Tim Osman of the CIA, Osama bin Laden, I was going bin Laptop, 
you know, Al Qaeda, CIA, the base, digital dossier. Well, anyway, anyway, so anyway, so um, Mullah. Uh, Omar uh, Muhammad Omar said, "Look, I can't throw him out because there's these, you know, these Pashtun people. These are tribal people, and their tribal culture and tradition says that you simply do not throw a guest out. Him as a leader, if he just throws a guest out without any sort of proof or whatnot, that's a mark against him. It's an embarrassment against him, and it's a questioning. And the people would question his leadership, right? So he asked for proof. Well, the proof came with, uh, you know, GBU eighty four laser guided bombs being dropped on top of Afghanistan." That no proof needed because it wasn't about the proof. It was about seven countries in five years, Harley. That's that's exactly the point. You're absolutely right because there's no evidence that bin Laden was even in Afghanistan at that time. There was no evidence he was even alive. Well, supposedly he'd been seen in a hospital in, uh, uh, I think, a U.S. hospital somewhere yep. in, the in Qatar, D- Dubai. Yeah, something like Dubai or Qatar, or UAE or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the idea that he was the mastermind, if you really want to get even deeper, we're not talking about 20 years. We're talking about 40 years. Oh, yeah. The, the, the Taliban was the uh, Afghan native response to the Soviet invasion. And Al Qaeda was the Saudi funded operation that was brought in to train the terrorists in Afghanistan. But. The Soviets went into Afghanistan because they were essentially lured in by Zbigniew Brzezinski when the U.S. starting in July of 1979, uh, Carter signed a, a memorandum authorizing U.S. support for the anti-Soviet forces in Afghanistan. The, there was a pro-Soviet government there, and the Mujahideen were essentially created uh, by Brzezinski and the CIA, which then provoked the, the Soviets to send their troops in in December. And Brzezinski, in an interview in, I think, 1998 with a French journal, uh, bragged. He was asked, well, don't you regret that the you created some terrorists in doing this? He said, regret? What are you talking about? We brought down the Soviet Union. So, you know, everything else after that is collateral damage. So this was yeah exactly the U.S. failure goes back to the period in Jimmy Carter under Brzezinski, where we brought Khomeini into power in Iran and uh, created the terrorist networks uh, that were the Taliban and the Al Qaeda in Afghanistan. Yeah, exactly correct. And now here's what's interesting, right? You know, you got uh, now uh, atrocity videos already starting to come out. Uh, recently, the uh, I think the Kabul police chief or whatnot was executed by the Taliban, supposedly. Uh, that's out. That's making its round on Zero Hedge and Twitter and whatnot. You could watch the execution live. It's completely uncensored. They blast the guy with AK-47s. Um, and here's what's interesting. This is coming out, and now they're not, now look at the media spinning it as it's a humanitarian dis, uh, disaster. And out of nowhere, Harley, out of nowhere. Posted on the Washington Compost, the the paper of repute for the cocaine import agency, right? The Washington Compost. You have the son of the late, great, dead, you know, uh, Northern Alliance leader, Ahmed Masood. Shah Massoud, right? His son, Ahmed Massoud, right, is now calling himself the interim president of Afghanistan. He has, be- he has become the Juan Guaido of Afghanistan, <laughs> Harley. <laughs> That, that, that's certainly something to be aspired to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't make this up. Well, I mean, this, 
Yeah. Here's the here's the point. Do you think the military industrial complex is going to lick their wounds and, and slink off somewhere? They're basically using this to say we have to come back strong, whether it's going to be in Venezuela, whether it's going to be against China. Correct. You know, there's this line out there that China benefited from this. Well, the Chinese and the Russians have been clear. They're saying that as long as Taliban continues to act as they did in the 90s, they won't recognize the government. But if they live up to their promises, they're prepared to help them with the economy. And I, I think what the, the big fear is that since the United States opposes the Belt and Road Initiative as some kind of Chinese imperial aggression, the U.S. is going to resist any attempt by China to go in and make uh, Afghanistan a transshipment center, a logistics center between east-west trade and north-south trade. And so that's going to, what, what they're going to say is that the Chinese are allied with the terrorist Taliban. And that's another reason we have to build up our forces in the Indo-Pacific region. So, uh, and, and they're also saying that since we didn't stand firm for Afghanistan, now, we were there for 20 years. What do you mean we didn't stand for We didn't stand for We weren't there for 50 years, Holly. We have yeah. to be there for at least 100 years to show the world that we have some allies. Now, what they're saying is, what message does this send to Taiwan? Taiwan, well, Holly, when that C-17 left the runway with people hanging off it, that moment, the I, 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 I think the Taiwanese president, his bowels became unloosed while he was in bed, when he saw those images. And I think he had an immediate phone call to Beijing saying, we are very sorry. <laughs> well, you know, there, there's some interesting uh, diplomatic developments, but I think, you know, I'll, I'll save some of them that I know that tomorrow there's going to be a follow-up to the Schiller Institute event on July 31st, where we had uh, this guy, Pino Arlaki, the former UN uh, drug czar, uh, we had some U.S. military people. We had some Pakistanis and others. The Afghan ambassador of the former government to Canada were on a Zoom call. This was Saturday, the 31st of July, talking about how we can use Afghanistan as a test case to break with the old paradigm of regime change and wars and instead operate on the basis of cooperation for mutual benefit and development. And you have interest from all the neighbors, the, the uh, various stands in uh, the former Soviet republics. The, yeah, the Tajikistan, Russia. Uzbekistan. Yeah. Uh, India, Iran, Pakistan, they're all interested in, in working on the Belt and Road Initiative. Now, what would happen if the U.S. broke profile and said, you know what? We don't really have a strategy to develop Afghanistan and we don't have the money to do it. But we're willing to participate and support what China, Russia, India, and other countries want to do. That's the way you break out of this war scenario. Right. But we're not going to do that because the people who run the United States are 100% committed to the Great Reset, the Green New Deal, and that requires an enemy image to continue the geopolitical doctrines of confronting and, and provoking and false flags for wars. And until we get a full accounting of who's the real author of this Afghan debacle, and it's, it's not Joe Biden, I, although it should be said Biden did support it 
when he was, was in the Obama administration. But who in the Obama administration, who in the Trump, the officials around Trump, because Trump wanted to get out, but the U.S. didn't get out because of the justice, I'm sorry, the uh, Defense Department, the intelligence community, the military, they didn't want to get out of Afghanistan. So we've got to find out who was committed to this war and they should be the people who are thrown out of office. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. 100%. Very well said. Uh, anything else that's on your radar, Harley? Well, the, the last week or so, of course, the Afghan situation has been in the forefront. But we're seeing once again our wonderful Federal Reserve chairman say that, well, we're going to continue the quantitative easing and the, the buying for a while, but then sending hints that they're going to do the tapering, the long-awaited tapering. And so they're creating real uncertainty. And you have the developments in China <clears throat> where they're moving against the uh, blockchain currency. They're moving against the Western influence in the banking system yep. you know there's a lot of insecurity now and you had today putin and merkel are meeting and i was hoping to get a report before this on that but apparently they're just meeting now uh but this is merkel's swan song what's she going to say to putin this i think is their 21st meeting you know she's seen more of putin than she's seen her husband uh, in fact most people in germany don't know if she has a husband but i, I don't know moti was even married yeah, I think she is. But in, in any case, what are they going to talk about? Well, they're going to talk about the North Stream 2. They're going to talk about Afghanistan. They're going to talk about real serious issues. Uh, and yesterday, uh, Putin talked with uh, Macron. The French are trying to figure out how to get out of this insane situation that they've put themselves in with their waffling on COVID, with their uh, support for NATO, their support for the, uh, uh, the, the, the various NATO operations. Uh, I don't know if you people know this, but the German Air Force was very much involved in training the, uh, uh, the, the Afghan Air Force. Yeah. I've met some of the German Luftwaffe people who were over the there. The Luftwaffe was a pretty darn good Air Force, man. I, 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 I've seen that they, they would show up in Alaska for the red flag exercises, and their uh, Luftwaffe typhoons have F-22 kills on them. And they've, they, they would stamp the image of the F-22 on the side of their aircraft. The Americans don't talk about it, but it's a, it's a known thing amongst Air Forces that Luftwaffe Eurofighter uh, typhoons have shot down s several F-22s. Go ahead, Harley. Well, and, and the problem is that because of the so-called Black Zero austerity policy, the Germans uh, don't have much of a military anymore. Correct. And this was something that, that Trump was uh, hammering away at Merkel on. But th there's something about the Germans that's somewhat realistic. They've been through a war. They're two generations removed from seeing their country completely destroyed. They don't want war. They want to talk to the Russians. They want to talk to the Chinese. They want to work with the Americans. And the idea that they have to choose to turn against uh, oil and gas from Russia in order to placate the uh, insane oligarchs running the United States, it's just not going to happen. So we're on the verge of, of many very interesting developments, uh, once in an era developments. And if the United States can break with this British geopolitical doctrine 
and the neoliberal central bank doctrine, there's a bright future for us. If we stick with the old ways, we're going to end up as a, another dying empire. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. Harley, thank you so much for coming on board with us and sharing these insights. It's very valuable. Folks, again, you can find Harley over at LaRoucheOrganization.com, LaRoucheOrganization.com, as well as SchillerInstitute.com, SchillerInstitute.com. The links will be in the description box. And with that being said, folks, thank you so much for listening in. Subscribe, like, comment, and share, and please spread the word. Thank you.